Hello and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, as we are thrilled to be able to bring to you all eight talks from Ripperologist Magazine's 21st birthday conference that took place at the Chamberlain Hotel in London over the weekend of the 3rd and 4th of September 2016. The following presentation is by Glenn Chandler, the creator of the hit television detective drama Taggart and the author of the book just released this year called The Sins of Jack Saul, the true story of Dublin Jack and the Cleveland Street scandal. We will not only hear all about Jack Saul, but also of Inspector Aberdeen's involvement in the investigation of the male brothel, as well as whether or not Prince Albert Victor was associated with the events, a claim that plays a significant role in some royal conspiracy theories. As with all of the series of talks from the Ripperologist Conference, a compendium of sorts featuring articles from all of the speakers was published in Ripperologist Magazine number 151, and I encourage all of our listeners to obtain and refer to that issue for further reading as well as seeing some of the images that were used in these presentations. If you do not yet receive Ripperologist, you can easily join their subscription list for free by emailing contact at ripperologist.biz. And now over to the Chamberlain Hotel and Glenn Chandler. Please give a big welcome to Glenn Chandler. I'll get it over straight away, there hasn't been a murder. Um, I've asked Adam to do the uh, technology for me here because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a technophobe, terrible. Um, this, this talk might well be entitled How a Victorian Irish Rent Boy Took Over My Life. <laughs> and believe me, for the past 12 months, he's been getting up with me in the morning and I've been going to bed with him at night and I hope there's nobody from the Daily Mail here. <laughs> okay. um, everybody knows about the Cleveland Street scandal. I take it most people know or have heard, come across the name of Jack Saul until now has been a, a mystery character. Uh, two Jacks occupied Inspector Aberline in the last years of his career, Jack the Ripper and Jack Saul. Now, Jack Saul was a very mysterious character. He, he lived for five weeks at 19 Cleveland Street. He wrote a pornographic memoir called The Sins of the Cities of the Plain that we'll come to in a few minutes. Uh, he, took, uh, he was a witness in a notorious libel case and then he vanished off the face of the earth, never to be heard of again. So I thought, well, I've got to find this chap. I'll never find Jack the Ripper, so I might as well try and, try and find Jack Saul. So um, I'd long speculated, how old was he? Where did he come from? Where did he go afterwards? Was Jack Saul even his real name? People speculated that it wasn't. So I set about a little bit of genealogy, and uh, can we have the next one, please. Uh, that's the cover. That's the cover of my book. Now here we are. This is one very tangible thing which Jack left behind him, and it was a seven-page statement to Inspector Aberline, in which he lists quite a number of the people who he had sex with and who visited 19 Cleveland Street, the boys who worked there. Uh, at the very top, he refers to uh, spending on the belly of Lord Euston, which is uh, which is which is which is another story. We'll come to that in a minute as well. Uh, do look do look at his signature at the bottom of the of the statement. That's the next one. So I decided to look uh, through the Irish census, because I'm a bit of a bit of a bit of a genealogist bug. And uh, 
There were quite a lot of Jack Saul, or John Souls, which is running, a lot of John Souls in Ireland, about, there were about 24 of them that were possibles. So I just trawled through them and I came across this one. This is 1901, incidentally. And uh, I found a John Saul, 32 years old. He was a butler living in Luke Street in the south of Dublin. Uh, 32 years old, well, if that was the case, he was 18 during the Cleveland Street scandal. Quite possible. But he would have been 12 when he wrote The Sins of the Cities of the Plain, his pornographic memoir. Um, Jack was precocious, but not that precocious. Then it suddenly occurred to me that in Ireland, they were very fond of lying on the census. They were too here. They already lied about their age, especially in Ireland. Um, and they saw it as a way also of getting one over on the British occupiers. So I thought, let's take this with a pinch of salt. So I looked at the signature at the bottom and I thought, hey ho, just a minute. That's a familiar signature. Let's put the two of them together. The one at the top was Jack's signature on his police statement to Inspector Aberline. The one at the bottom is his, is his signature on the Irish census form. And I looked at that and I thought, that's definitely him. Now, if only finding Jack the Ripper was as easy as that. <laughs> so the rest, the rest, as they say, was um, the rest, as they say, was <clears throat> was genealogy. Um, Jack Saul was born 1857 in a Dublin slum. He was uh, brought up a Catholic. Uh, his father was a Jarvie, which was, means he was a handsome cab driver. Uh, he, had two, he had two brothers and three sisters. This is one of his brothers. This is Edward. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a picture of Jack. No attic has uh, given up its secrets. No descendant has given up his secrets, but this at least was his brother Edward, who followed his, his father's trade into the driving a handsome cab around Dublin for sixpence a trip. And uh, he was, as you can say, a very handsome fellow, so he's as near as we've got to knowing what Jack Saul probably looked something like. Um, they were a hard-drinking breed, the Jarvis. Uh, Edward, he was done for drunken driving. He knocked down, he knocked down a woman and killed her in Grafton Street. <laughs> he, he got off. He got off. Um, we have the next one. Now, Jack had other ideas. He wasn't going to drive a handsome cab. He wasn't going to drive a handsome cab for six months a trip around Dublin when he could sleep with somebody for five shillings. Uh, he he'd already gone on the game at about the age of seventeen. And he met this young man who was um, Martin Orrinmore Kerwin. Now he was the uh, he was the son of a very prominent Galway landowner who owned 4,308 acres of County Galway. Uh, he was a lieutenant in the Dublin militia. He was also a Protestant. Now this broke every single taboo in the book: sex, religion, and also most importantly, class. Because Protestant landowners' sons, especially in the army, fighting with the British against their own type, did not sleep with Catholic slum boys, but uh, but they did. Um, Jack was uh, Jack had a number of friends in Dublin. The relationship couldn't last, and it didn't. Jack had a number of friends. One of one of the boys was called Bill Clark. He was known as Mary the Melt because he was a bit thick. Um, he was having he was having a relationship with the head of the Dublin CID, a guy called James. It was all happening in the rare old days in Dublin then. He was sleeping he was sleeping with the head of the Dublin CID, James Ellis French, uh, whom he was blackmailing into the bargain. Another another one of Jack's friends was uh, a boy called James Daly. 
who was known as Gaiety Jane. He, he was a messenger boy at Guinness. And in fact, Bill Clark worked at Guinness too. He was a cooper. Guinness was the role of working at Guinness. And they were, they were all theatrical boys. Jack, Bill, Jimmy, Jimmy Daly. They all worked in the amateur theatre. They all sang. Uh, and they were all a little bit bad, a little bit dangerous to know. Not 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 mad at all, but uh, you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to get off with them on the, the, the quaysides in Dublin or anything like that. They'd empty your pockets. <laughs> now, Jack was. Um, what happened with um, the Kerwin was that Jack was involved in a burglary, not buggery, as a lot of people have thought. He was taken to court for burglary, and uh, I think he and Bill had, had probably robbed a client. The the evidence was 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 not very conclusive, but Jack Jack got away with it. He had the luck of the Irish every time, as we shall discover. Uh, the, the jury decided there wasn't enough evidence to convict Jack. This was in 1870, this was the end of 1878. 1879, Jack Saul reckoned it was getting a little bit too hot for him in Dublin, and he'd come to London. And London was where he met, the next one, this gentleman, Mr. Charles Hammond. Now, Charles Hammond was a Gravesend boatman's son. And he married a French prostitute called Madame Caroline, whom he'd met in the red light district of Paris. Now, um, he had a great sense of humour because uh, they're, they were married at the, in the, the, the church of St. Anne in Soho, which was known as the prostitute's church. Um, because that's what his wife was, that's what Caroline, Caroline she, she put down no occupation on the marriage certificate. Charles Hammond put down uh, Professor of Languages. Now, he was illiterate. He couldn't read or write. So he had a great sense of humour. Now, uh, Hammond was, a, Hammond was a, a renter too. They didn't call them rent boys in those days. They called them renters. Uh, Hammond was a renter. He was also a pimp. And he started pimping Jack. He would probably jump into bed with Jack as well. But after only two years in the capital, Jack was getting, you know, a little bit, little bit tired of being pimped. Um, he was going to get, he was going to get some money from another way. I don't know whether he'd ever thought of being a great writer. But uh, in 1881, he suddenly, his name suddenly appeared in print, not in a newspaper, but in a work of pornography. The Sins of the Cities of the Plain, there's only one copy remaining in the British Library. It's well thumbed. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is a modern reprint by uh, Valencourt Books, but it's, it's, it's a facsimile of the book as it exists in the British Library. It's a very, very steamy and erotic read. Uh, has anybody read it? Has anybody read it and is not admitting to having read it? <laughs> right. How did, how did Jack end up as the central character in a work of pornography? Well, he was only 24 years old. He, the possibility is he met the publisher, the anonymous publisher, who was a, a chap called William Lazenby. Now, William Lazenby uh, was notorious for disseminating um, pornographic material. He'd been to prison three times for it. Now, on page, on page five of this book, Jack comes out with the immortal words. Saul, sir. Jack Saul of Lyle Street, Leicester Square. Ready for a lark with a free gentleman at any time. Okay, who in 1881 puts their real name, and not only that, but their address, 
in a work of pornography where the list, there are hundreds and hundreds of different ex sexual exploits, any one of which, if it was proven, he could have gone to prison for 20 years. Was this vanity? Very, very possibly. Now, Jack was living in Lyle Street at the time. Uh, we know this because um, he mentioned that in his statement to Inspector Aberline, 36 Lyle Street, just where the Prince Charles Cinema is now, an opposite, an opposite Q Bar, which is one of the gay pubs in Soho at the moment. Um, make no mistake, it is a very, very steamy read. But some, how much of it is true? Well, some of it is obviously made up. There are some sexual acts in it which, uh, well, I would deem to kind of try myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, there is some truth in it. He does. He, he, talk, he talks about a Mrs. Truman who, who has a tobacconist's shop next to the Regency Street barracks. And uh, it's a shop where you can go and, if you want to, you can sleep with soldiers. She used to get soldiers from the barracks, and gentlemen would come into her shop. And um, they'd, come in, they'd come in and ask, you know, ask for a guard. I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what happened if she came and asked for a packet of 20, but uh, she probably didn't have the room. Um, but, they, but yes, and, uh, Jack talks about this lady in his book, and she did exist. Lucy Truman was a widow from Herefordshire, and she lived at 192 Albany Street. She, she did run a tobacconist shop, and yes, she, it, was, it was a brothel for a gentleman who wanted to sleep with soldiers. Uh, Jack Saul also talks, he spends two whole chapters talking about those people. These are Ernest Bolton and Frederick William Park, Aka, Fanny and Stella, the famous transvestites from 1871 who were famously acquitted of um, conspiracy to commit sodomy. And they were having a whale of a time going around London picking up men for sex. Now Jack spends two whole chapters on everything he did with them, ranging from flagellation right through, right through the, right through this is a good, the Hogemoot, in fact. Um, a lot of people, some modern writers, have taken Jack's, Jack's word and uh, have republished Jack's claims of sleeping with Fanny and Stella and doing other things. Uh, no, it was rubbish. Jack never met Fanny and Stella. Sins of the Cities of the Plain was pornography, largely. It was not biography. Um, Jack was not only having a lark with any free gentleman at the time, he was also having a lark with gay history. So... <laughs> Fanny and Stella, no, he didn't know. But he didn't know an awful lot of other people. Now, uh, Jack wasn't finished with Dublin. Jack wasn't finished with Dublin at all. Dublin was not finished with Jack. Jack was whisked back there three years later, in 1884, because of this man, who was one of his friends. This was Gustavus Cornwall, who was the head, he was the secretary of the General Post Office in Dublin. Now, Cornwall was, um, uh, in the parlance of the day, a sodomite, according to what he was. Uh, and William Bryan, who was uh, a nationalist MP, published this in his, uh, in his newspaper. He was also a Protestant, and the Catholics were trying to trying to get the Protestants and the British administration uh, as embarrassed as they possibly could. So, um, calling Mr. Cornwall a sodomite within the pages of a newspaper was just too much for him. Now he should have sat quiet, like Oscar Wilde. He should have just sat on his hands. He didn't. Like Oscar, like Oscar Wilde, he decided to sue for libel. Like Oscar Wilde, he lost. And like Oscar Wilde, he was put in court and tried for sodomy. Not only him, but he dragged down seven other men in Dublin with him. 
and they became known as the Dublin Scandals. One of them was Martin's dear friend, Martin, uh, sorry, Jack Saul's dear friend, Martin Orenmore Kerwin. He was now a captain, Captain Kerwin, of the Dublin militia. The trials were a, the trials were a travesty, they were a circus. Let's, bear, let's remember that uh, in those days, um, sodomy could get you 20 years in prison, which was not very nice. One of the Dublin scandals uh, victims, uh, a 70-year-old wine merchant and grocer uh, called James Pillar, he received 20, he got 20 years for sodomy and for running a brothel above his grocer's shop. Um, just like Mrs. Truman had run a brothel above her tobacconist shop in London, you know, he would shut his doors in, uh, and the customers who came were very different from the ones who came to buy milk and eggs and cheese and butter during the daytime. He was selling soldiers above his shop. Poor man, 70 years old, got 20 years for sodomy. He'd come out of Kilmainham jail when he was 90, uh, but he only survived six of them. Whatever he did, it certainly wasn't worth, certainly wasn't worth that. Uh, the great and the good, well, that was the great thing about the Dublin scandals. If you were well-connected, you got away with it. And Martin Orenmore Kerwin and uh, Mr Cornwall were both acquitted. The jury took against these rent boys and the, the judge, and the judge more or less said, look, look at these people, look at these, look at these rough boys. Can you possibly believe what they said? Look, 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 look. this is a gentleman with a reputation. What, what are you going to do? No, Cornwall got away with it. All their lives were ruined, but Jack, now he'd made a statement against Kerwin saying, you know, de detailing sexual exploits. Jack could have been arrested. They would have had no compunction against putting a poor Catholic, young Catholic rent boy in jail. But no, Jack got back to London and he had the luck of the Irish again because he escaped yet another prosecution. And he came back to London and he ended up in this house, 19 Cleveland Street. Now, don't be looking for it. It's been pulled down. But if you go to where it was, uh, there's a modern block of flats. And these wise people who renumber London streets have decided to call it number 19. Now, whether this is out of posterity or ignorance, I do not know, but I strongly suspect the latter. 19 Cleveland Street, therefore, is still there. Um, it, it was owned. It, Hammond didn't own it. Uh, it was owned by Michael Lochlin, who was a, a local rag dealer who had bought up different properties in the area. Um, the Hammonds had actually um, had actually just leased it. They moved in as tenants and ended up and ended up as more or less running it. It was the best house in London. If you wanted to sleep within silk sheets with a handsome guardman, a handsome guard, then this was the place to go. If you wanted a, a dalliance with a rent boy, this was the place to go. Uh, soldiers were pouring out of the door <laughs> and uh, it, it was supposed to be safe you know there was a thing about discretion this was the place you know if you couldn't pick a rent buy up in Piccadilly this was the place that you went your lordship you know you're, you're, you will be safe here your lordship <coughs> or Mr Brown or Mr Green or Mr Black or whatever you want to call yourself a lot of the gentlemen who came they, they use pseudonyms. Now, it wasn't as safe as that, of course, because Jack and the other boys spilled a lot of the beans and spilled a lot of the names. And I'm now going to, uh, I'm now going to name the names. I'm now going to tell you the names of the people who visited 19 Cleveland Street. 
they're all dead. I'm not worried. <laughs> Nobody looks old enough here. No. Um, the, the most well-known, of course, was Lord Arthur Somerset. He was the uh, the equerry. Thank you. He was the equerry to the Prince of Wales, uh, known as known as Podge, because he was rather he was rather podgy. And uh, he was he had been visiting 19 Cleveland Street and uh, having it off with uh, a 15-year-old telegraph boy, telegraph messenger boy called uh, Thomas Swinscoe, and another one called Ernest Thickbroom. It's a lovely name. The, the name, one of the names that Dickens wrote a novel, never wrote a novel about. Um, he, Somerset, eventually, when the scandal broke, he fled to France. He wasn't going to stay around and uh, and take the heat. Uh, another one, another visitor to the brothel was um, a chap called Weguelin, Hugh Weguelin. He was a very, very wealthy stockbroker from Grosvenor Square. And uh, he was only 27 years old, which gives the lie to the fact, to the belief that perhaps all the elderly men visited brothels. They didn't. He was young enough to have worked in the brothel himself. Uh, George Cavendish Bentinck, MP. Tory member of Parliament for Whitehaven. Yes, the Tories were at it even then. <laughs> so were the bankers, which will come as no surprise to anybody. Um, Roland York Bevan, banker. He was one of four brothers and he worked in a bank at the corner of the Haymarket. Uh, the bank which would later become known as Barclays. I don't know if this is in the official Barclays history. <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Sir Henry Clark Gervois, um, acting colonel with the Coldstream Guards. He was another one. Lieutenant Colonel John Wallace Hosier of the Royal Scots Greys. It was, it was a man's life in the army, obviously. Um, uh, poor poor uh, John Wallace Hosier, he ended up being put in a lunatic asylum by his brother, who was a prominent member of the Liberal Party. <laughs> Uh, before his name could appear in the newspapers and disgrace the Liberal Party and his family, and uh, poor John Wallace Hosier died in the died in the lunatic asylum. Nobody ever knowing he'd visited 19 Cleveland Street. And last but least, Lord Euston. Our old, now here he is. Here's Lord Euston. Jack Saul. Well, Jack. He's the only one that we know. Jack Saul definitely took back on his own to 19 Cleveland Street. Uh, Lord Euston, he said, was not a sodomite. Lord Euston liked to spend on his belly, which he did. Which has the kind of ring of truth about it, in a way. Next one. Oh, what's he doing here? Oh dear, okay. Right, meet, well, we all know who he is. This is Prince Eddie. This is Prince Albert Victor. Now, he's a name most connected, closely connected with 19 Cleveland Street. Did he go there? Let's let's ditch him straight away. His name only came up after a solicitor um, decided to drag his name into the affair so that the police would perhaps take their attention away from the high-profile clients who were visiting the house. The boys, the none of the boys who worked there, none of the boys mentioned his name. Jack Saul never mentioned his name, and neither did any of these fellows. Telegraph boy, telegraph messenger boys from the general post office. They're a pretty ugly bunch, aren't they? You would have thought they were quite pretty. <laughs> and the interesting thing is they've all got the same noses. Have you noticed that? Uh, the, the court artist was not very good at drawing noses. Now, 
uh, Jack Sowell said in court that um, Hammond was collecting telegraph boys like Dalton plates on bus. <laughs> now the one in the middle, the one in the middle, Algernon Allies, he is a very, very interesting character. Now, he wasn't a telegraph boy, he was a page boy at Lord Arthur Somerset's club, the Marlborough Club. And Lord Arthur had a, a financial relationship with him, sexual financial relationship. Well, Allies was arrested for burglary. He'd stole 16 shillings and 8 pence from the house of Lord Colville of Colross, who lived in Eaton Square and was the uh, Lord Chamberlain to the Princess of Wales. Now, what Allies was doing in the house of Lord Colville of Colross and how he knew where to find the 16 shillings and 8 pence, we can only speculate. But we know that a false story was given to the media that he'd stolen the money from the Marlborough Club so that Lord Colville's name wouldn't come into it. Allies appeared in court. There were, no pre there were no newspaper reporters present whatsoever. The trial was not reported. He was given one day in Pentonville prison without hard labour and he came out and Lord Arthur Somerset took him under his wing. You can be a good boy from now on. Installed him at 19 Cleveland Street where he visited him for 15 shillings a time. The top, left, the top left boy there, that's Thomas Swinscoe. Now Swinscoe was the one who, the one who blew the gaff. Uh, he was found with um, a number of shillings in his pockets. In fact, he was found with about four times as much as he should have found. In fact, the telegraph messenger was weren't allowed to carry money. It was, it was forbidden for them to carry money. And these boys normally end about, earned about 10 shillings a week. Well, he was making substantially more than that. He'd been to Cleveland Street about five times. And he was found. He was found with the money by a police constable called called Inspector Luke Hanks, who passed it on to his superior, who passed it on to Scotland Yard, and our old friend Inspector Aberline was given the case. This was a real poisoned chalice. Jack Saul was picked up by Inspector Aberline. Jack was living, by the way, in Old Compton Street, 15 Old Compton Street. It's now a sex shop. Um, you know, when you follow Jack's footsteps around London, you know, he almost follows the footsteps of a modern gay man. The modern gay men follow Jack Saul's footsteps. Now, I said it was a poison chalice, this case. It was. I mean, Aberline had failed to find Jack the Ripper, and here he was given a case about a male brothel at which a member of the royal family just might, just might, have been a visitor. And he was expected to solve this. No way, no way. The establishment was not going to let him. Nevertheless, for Aberline, here were real names. Real names of real people living at real addresses. And the crimes he was being asked to investigate were not murder, it was sodomy. Just as bad as murder, almost, in those days. Now, there were plans to get the Telegraph Boys out of the country. It didn't succeed. But two people did leave the country. One was Lord Arthur Somerset, who went to France. And Charles Hammond, well, he... he he fled the country, he went to France as well, then he went to Belgium, then he got on a ship with the help of Lord Arthur Somerset's solicitor and sailed to America, where he ended up in Seattle in the Wild West. It wasn't the last that the world had heard of Charles Hammond. Uh, arrests, arrest warrants, they weren't worth the paper they were written on. Extradition warrants, they weren't worth the paper that they weren't written on. Aberline really was frustrated. He just couldn't bring anybody 
to justice. For this case, with the exception of two minor characters, um, a boy called Henry Newlove, who was a, a minor clerk at the post office. He was only 19 years old. And a rather odd character called George Beck, who used to swan around 19 Cleveland Street picking up boys dressed as a clergyman. Uh, the two of them were given only a few months in prison, and uh, as long as they pled guilty, they had to plead guilty, and you know, plead guilty and don't mention any names, please, and we'll brush this under the carpet as quickly as possible, which is what happened. So Beck, you love, went to prison. They thought it was all over. It wasn't. This man, Ernest Park, he was a newspaper editor, editor of the North London Press, a low circulation paper in Hackney. He only had a readership of about 4,000, but very, he had a very campaigning edge to him. He was shocked that these sentences should be passed down, and the, the great and the good, and Lord Arthur and Lord Euston, and all those ones should get away with it. So he decided to publish names, and he published the name of Lord Euston. Well, Lord Euston wasn't having this, and Lord Euston decided to sue for libel. He needed somebody, the poor lordship needed somebody to help him. And he needed somebody to turn around and say, look, I took Lord Euston, I took Lord Euston back to 19 Cleveland Street. I had sex with him. Yes, he is a sodomite. Well, the only person that um, Ernest Park could get hold of was Jack Saul. And it was probably Inspector Aberline who tipped Ernest Park off to his identity. So Jack was picked up once again and said, look, will you go to court and help Lord Euston? And this is where Jack's life takes a very interesting turn, because here we have, here we have a rent boy who's, who's been involved in numerous scandals, now being asked to get up in court. He doesn't have to. He's not been arrested. He's not been subpoenaed. But to get, will you get up in court and help somebody? Will you get up in court, get, get up in court and say, I am a sodomite. I, I took this lord back to Mountain Cleveland Street. I slept with him. This is my life. I am a sodomite. I can't help it. I am a Marianne, which was the word for um, a rent boy in those days. This was seven years before Oscar Wilde got up in court and talked about the love that dare not speak its name. And one day in court, got, Jack got up at the old Bailey and spoke about sexual acts that did not speak their name. He didn't help Ernest Park, unfortunately. The judge took one look at Jack with his silver-topped cane and his sparkling ring on his finger and this effeminate Irish accent, which apparently he had, according to one newspaper. And the judge called him a loathsome creature, a melancholy object, challenged the jury. Who are you going to believe? Well, Lord Euston was a member of the establishment, an old soldier, and a Freemason, of course. And Ernest Park was sent to prison for one year. Lord Euston walked away without a stain on his character. And Jack Saul was threatened with perjury. Well, once again, Jack had the luck of the Irish. <laughs> they weren't going to get their hands dirty with Jack. Put Jack Saul in court. Supposing he gets up in the witness box, who's he going to talk about next? Might he mention this gentleman? Aha! Very possibly our old friend, once again. He's the reason that the whole Cleveland Street scandal was swept under the carpet so thoroughly and that nobody wanted to bring anybody back from abroad and prosecute them. Poor old Aberline, he came out of it pretty badly too. 
We were sitting in court when the judge discovered that Jack Saul had made a statement, a seven-page statement, dealing all his sexual exploits. Why has Inspector Aberline not arrested everybody in Jack's statement? Um, Aberline had no answer. He couldn't. He couldn't have done. Nobody would let him. All he tried, the case just slipped like sand through his fingers. Now Jack, Jack went back to Dublin. Everyone wants to know what happened to people at the end of cases. Briefly, Jack went back to Dublin. Hammond, he escaped to Seattle. He got involved in a brothel in Seattle. There was a shootout, there was a shootout with the police. He got arrested for burglary. And, uh, and Hammond, Charles Hammond went to Walla Walla Penitentiary, which was the state penitentiary of, uh, of Washington. And there he served um, a few months of imprisonment before being released on the appeal of his young son, Charlie. Uh, little Charlie. Little Charlie sent a very, very appealing letter to the governor saying, I can't live without my father, please let him out. And the governor took sympathy on Hammond and let him out. And Hammond then disappeared from view, disappeared into history. Although there is some evidence he ended up working in the laundry in San Francisco. Uh, it would have been a great come down for a man who kept a brothel where the seats were made of silk and the, and the curtains of velvet to end up working in a San Francisco laundry. Uh, the Telegraph boys, well, they all, they all had very undramatic ends. They all grew up to be old-age pensioners, without exception. Jack went back to Dublin, stayed with his family for a while, and as far as we know, he got involved in no more scandals. He died of tuberculosis in a Catholic hospice at the age of, at the age of 46. And this is Jack, and this is, and this is Jack Saul's final resting place in Glasnevin Cemetery in Dublin. Now, TB was a, great, was a great killer at the time. Had Jack Saul lived a bit longer? Well, he may have died of something much more nasty than tuberculosis, although, to be honest, there was nothing that much more nasty than tuberculosis at the time. His whole family, well, most of his family is buried here, his mother, father, two of his sisters, and he's buried, he's buried right on the top. I've sat, sat on the grave and uh, communed with him a little bit. He... Um, He's only a minute's walk from uh, uh, Eamon de Valera, uh, the grave of Michael Collins. So if you're ever doing the Irish history tour, you can take in Jack Soule very easily. And then I sat there on his grave, you know, and it was shortly after the, uh, the referendum on gay marriage. And I thought to myself, what would Jack think if he came back now and went into Dublin and realised that his countrymen had voted to legalise same-sex marriages? I think he would have had a whale of a time, uh, and it wouldn't have. Um, I don't think. I don't think he would have been um, worried at all. Uh, Jack was. Jack, Jack was a lot of things, um, but I think most important. I think the best word to describe Jack, he was a survivor. Thank you. And that was Glenn Chandler with The Sins of Jack Saul, the true story of Dublin Jack and the Cleveland Street Scandal. I would like to extend the warmest of thanks to Adam Wood, the editor and publisher of Ripperologist Magazine, and Frog Moody of Casebook Classic Crime Club for allowing the recording and release of this landmark conference. A huge debt of gratitude is owed to Mark Ripper for overseeing the recording of all of the talks and to the speakers themselves for granting their permission for making their contributions to the conference available for all of us to hear. 
As I said in my introduction, if you would like to become a subscriber to Ripperologist Magazine, the free bi-monthly journal of Jack the Ripper East End and Victorian Studies, send an email to contact at ripperologist.biz. For more information on the Casebook Classic Crime Club and to receive their free and also excellent magazine, go to timezonepublishing.com. Both publications also have their own Facebook pages, so you can also find out a lot of information there. We are a podcast sponsored and hosted by Casebook.org, where you will find all of our roundtable talks, author interviews, and conference releases on Jack the Ripper and Victorian True Crime. The numbers of shows is now reaching 100, and that would never have been possible without the support of the Ripperologist community and you, our listeners. And so I thank you for your continued support, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.